it is an honor to come, a great privilege, and thank you for the opportunity to be with you. Let us turn to the scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and I begin to read at verse 44. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 44. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man, from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so we shall bear the likeness of the man from heaven. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound. The dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us pray. We turn to your glorious word. 
we pray for your glorious spirit that we may discern glorious truths for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now, the text that I wish to open to you is not in that chapter. In my pastorate in Portsmouth, we had a church member, and he was a super chap, but he was odd. And when he died, he left instructions that I was to read the whole of 1 Corinthians 15, the whole lot of it, in the authorised version. He was a solicitor, and all the judges and solicitors in Portsmouth were there. And I so enjoyed it. I had authority to read the whole thing, and I don't think it was ever more glorious just to read. However, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, the apostle says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Think about it. Christ lives in me. What does it mean? In what way do we experience Christ living in us? For many years, uh, I've, I've had a, a, a sort of model in my thinking to try and give some perspective to what it really does mean to be a human being. And I, I wonder if I might have the, the first of the overhead things put there. We are a construct of four uh, constituent elements. We have a mind to think. We have a will to choose. We have passions. I don't know whether that's the right word. I don't mean anything that is questionable. We are a bundle of emotions. Are we not? And we have a body. And these are four constituent elements. Now, this is a model or a pattern that I have had in my thinking for many years. And I've not just plucked it out of thin air. I believe it to be uh, biblical. But then flowing through those four constituent elements are what I call three spiritual faculties. May I have the next uh, figure on the screen? Interspersed in mind and will and passion and body, there are these spiritual 
capacities, these spiritual faculties. We have conscience. We have a, a moral sense. Do we not? We have imagination. Wonderful. A wonderful spiritual faculty is imagination. And we have memory. That's not really the right word. It's not the word I, I want, but I can't think of another. We have a, a sense of time. Time is of the essence in our consciousness. And we have these. We have, therefore, these four constituent elements. The mind, the will, the passion, the body. And flowing through them, we have conscience and imagination and memory. And all of these are the gift from God, our Creator. He has made us thus. Now, you may be an expert in these matters, and you may say that this model is deficient. Well, please accept what I say. To have a model or a pattern in our thinking, to have a skeletal frame for our thinking is better than to have nothing at all. And Jesus Christ came, the perfect human being in mind, and will, and passion, and body, in conscience, imagination, memory. He was perfect. And his perfection clashed with our imperfection. And our imperfection which is stated in Scripture in this way, we loved darkness rather than light. We loved our imperfection. This imperfection in our race was riled by Christ's perfection. And we named him to the cross. All of this was purposeful. God had a purpose. This man, said the Apostle Peter, was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. What did he mean? He meant that quite deliberately God sent his perfect son, a perfect human being. That perfection which Jesus Christ in John 17 describes as the glory which you gave me. Father, you gave me this perfect humanity. This was quite deliberately 
destroyed by us. He died in his mind and in his will and in his passion and in his body and in his conscience and in his imagination and in his memory. He was done to death. And God had a purpose in it. His purpose was to make human perfection crystal clear. Crystal clear. Jesus, the perfect one. His purpose was to demonstrate the conquest of human perfection over imperfection. Doesn't look like it on Good Friday, but it certainly looks like it on Easter Day. His purpose is to demonstrate the superiority of perfection over imperfection. And what a cosmic difference there is. But most of all, his purpose was to reach down into our imperfection with all its loathsomeness and wickedness and to give us the perfection of Jesus Christ the risen. So I have two points, only two. Here's the first. Perceive the horrible reality of human imperfection. I wonder if I may have the third of these figures now, please. There you have it. Doesn't look like it. Observe it. Here it is. Here are the four constituent elements of uh, the human being. And passion is now the ruling factor. That isn't how God created it. That isn't the order of God's creation. God has created the mind to be, as it were, his commissioner to the soul, his vice-regent in the soul. This is the splendor of our humanity. We are creatures to whom God has spoken. Genesis 1, God blessed them and said to them. He didn't speak to others, but he has spoken to us. He has given us a mind that can assimilate his 
glorious purpose. But passion has thrown down the mind and passion has assumed control. Listen to these verses, listen to them. Genesis 3 verses 1 to 6. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild creatures the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did he say that? It's a challenge to the mind. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from any tree, from the trees of the garden, but God did say, the mind, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now listen to this, listen to it. Underline it in your thinking. When the woman saw the fruit, that the fruit was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some. Now do you see? It is no longer what God says. It is no longer the address of God to the mind. Now, passion has taken over. And what is the result? Galatians 5, 19 to 21. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. Now what is that but passion? And the centre of passion is self. It is no longer God that is at the centre. It is self. That's the state of the world. There isn't a sin in the world. There isn't an evil thing in the world which is not due to this. Passion is in control. The ugly young man who rules North Korea will do anything, will murder anybody, will do anything for power. The whole world, says Peter, is corrupted by lust. 
the, the condition of our world, the woefulness of our world, is because passion is in control. Not God, but self. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to his own way. For several, several years, I've been writing notes on the Gospel of Matthew. I don't mean writing for publication, writing so that I can understand. You see, the Saviour begins his ministry in Matthew's Gospel with the words, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And uh, the whole editor, editorial policy uh, that Matthew pursues in Matthew's Gospel is to expound the fact that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I've written, well, many hundreds of pages. And I just want to read to you from my own notes, pages 643, 644. So this isn't the work of a moment. The kingdom of heaven is the only realm for which the human race was created. Beyond the borders of this kingdom is nothing but meaningless, futile, abortive, empty coordination of the means of conscious existence. A mind destitute of true perceptive, analytical thought and blinded from it. A will forever being cut to pieces within the calamitously erroneous decision. Affections or passions flaring with huge desires and rushing to reach the, fulfill the fulfilment of them, only invariably to sink back sooner or later in the disappointment of failure. A body serving as the activating mechanism of all those tumults in the mind, the will, the passions, is torn in utter confusion of the soul's disorder and begins to rise in the strain of the abuse in every tendon. A conscience racked with a restless civil war of loathing the unavoidable consequences of evil being pervaded by the disquieting atmosphere of guilt while irresistibly strangle held by love of the evil itself. An imagination which paints its lurid grotesques upon the trembling surface of consciousness just as it ever did and increasingly has done but now impregnates the soul in every part with the revolting stench of its nastiness. A memory which recollects occasion, people, circumstances which for all their urgent challenge then were mockingly dismissed as inconsequential but now seem to say, too late, too late. Moreover, as each of these constituent elements and spiritual faculties are said to the distortion of that particular function for which the Creator originally made them, so, flow, so the flow and 
counterflow of inevitable result runs into the complex aggregate of the whole personality. Malfunction in one part triggers malfunction in another and another until at last the whole consciousness of existence is one screaming anguish of horrible distortion. Oh, I write at the bottom of this quotation from my own notes. God, send not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. So the second point, and with this I close, perceive the transcendent excellence of the life in us of the risen Christ. Oh, may I have the fourth and last of these. Here, now, the whole thing is changed. The order that God has created is now restored. The, the whole truth of the gospel, which is the power of God for everyone who believes, is this, that the perfect life of the risen Saviour will be conceived and born and develop and grow in the heart of the once ruined sinner ever more powerfully and transformingly and gloriously with the more and more profound experience of Jesus, the risen one, living within the mind. It's opened. God, who ordered light out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The will is moved. We wonder at it. I wonder at it that it is me that, that cries this. But I wonder at it as, a, as, as the spirit within me says, not my will. Not my will, but thine be done. Just as the Saviour, the passion of the soul, as the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee. The body becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit until I tremble with the fact that Jesus, the risen one, is living within me. As for the conscience, oh, the conscience runs way back to the finished work of Christ for my salvation. It is finished. It is finished. It is God that says it. It is finished. The work is done. The salvation is procured. It is finished. 
my conscience runs to the shed blood of Christ. My imagination. Think of Christ's imagination in the days of his earthly life. Everything was just touched with heaven, whether he thought of lamps or coins or jewels or contracts or wheat or weeds or seeds or sheep or bread or sons or vines or bridegrooms or fishes or weddings. It didn't matter what he was thinking of. He was all touched with heaven. And the imagination is just set free with the living Jesus within. The memory, the memory looks back to all that God has done. Ebenezer, hitherto hath the Lord helped us. And there is this retrospection and this anticipation. Oh, Ah, oh, Maranatha, come, Lord. We look forward to the glorious things yet to be. This is what it is to have the living Christ within I live. Yet no longer I, but Christ lives in me. So what shall I say? This with this I close. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance, incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are kept of the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last.